All right, I'm excited to start a new series in this beautiful season. It's called Hope on the Horizon. Seems appropriate for our times to focus on the hope in the middle of uh, what has been a season of darkness. In a sense, when Jesus left his earthly ministry, he said uh, in words that weren't exactly this, that once he leaves, it's going to be night. And, And in a sense, When he returns, that's the ultimate uh, breaking of the dawn, the fulfillment of all the hopes. And yet, even now, we're in a solid season of hope with light, with the presence of Jesus. And so we're looking at that together all month long. What I intend to do is uh, take a close look at a few of the prophecies before his coming, and as they anticipated hope coming in the first coming, we're anticipating our hope as well in his glorious return, and yet there is even more than that. There is hope right now, and so we need that hope. Today's title specifically is this, In the Dark, Fear has dominion. Seen that lately? (laughs) In the dark, fear has dominion. And we need hope while we kind of experience some of that darkness in our lives. Now, there's all kinds of forms of this. Let me just name a few. Um, Are you lonely? Um, Is your best friend's name Siri? (laughs) I don't know if you ever tried this. You, 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 you. Hey, Siri, tell me a knock-knock joke. And they're still just as bad as regular knock-knock jokes. You know, and it's so sad. If you're lonely, hope on the horizon for you. Are you stressed? Have you ever felt like you need to hit a three-run homer and you're at bat and there's nobody on base? It's an impossible situation. I felt that. You feel like you, I'm stressed. I feel like I need to do, and yet it's impossible to hit a three-run home run with nobody on base. And those stresses are there. There's hope on the horizon. Are you filled, filled with uh, fear, with dread about what might happen? There's hope on the horizon. Do you, Have you experienced a crisis? Are you in the middle of a crisis? There is hope on the horizon. So this has got very practical implications, and you could put in any number of other things. There is solid and reliable hope. And so I wanted to describe biblical hope right up front so that we're not thinking of hope like, I hope this happens, like it's a wishful thing. Solid and reliable hope is based on confidence in God whose goodness and mercy are to be relied on and whose promises cannot fail. Now, originally I intended to go into Hebrews 6 today, uh, along with the prophecy that I was going to look at, but I ran out of room and time. There's no way I can go into it. So here's just an encouragement for you to look up this verse, maybe even jot this down now. Uh, If you have the YouVersion app, the study guide uh, that goes below the outline actually will refer to questions in this section. Here's a little bit about it. It describes hope as an anchor. Now that's solid. And then it describes what that hope is. So if you can imagine an anchor and being in a storm 
and the wind is blowing you so hard towards the shore and you, you've already out of control because of the wind so you've pulled in your sails and you're, you can't really control your boat and it's being driven into the shoreline where there's just crashing waves and a rocky shoreline. The anchor is your solid hope and literally you throw the anchor down into what you cannot see where it's gonna take hold and hold you so that you're not smashed into the rocks. And then it describes that that anchor is Jesus Christ, not below the surface in the place you cannot see, but above the surface in the place you cannot see, that we have a hope and a solid line to that hope that holds us to a security that is eternal, that gives us hope right now. And so following that up, we have this thought, this kind of hope carries expectation with the goal of experiencing a heavenly reality in small measure now, let that sink in, and later it's full measure forever. This solid hope is something you can experience now. You're tasting the realities, the heavenly realities now as you put your line to Jesus Christ our anchor who has gone before us and holding us to heaven, you can experience that hope right now in a small measure and then its fullest measure later forever. This kind of hope is practical because it fills us with joy, courage, and patient endurance. Boy, we need this now. We need joy we need this practical thing that fills us with joy and gives us direction and strengthens us with endurance. Now, having defined that, are you ready for more hope? I sure am. I'm ready to be filled up with more hope during this time in which we live. And so, let's begin. Point number one, one sign one sign. This is a sign for us. This was a sign when it was spoken, and I'll tell you more about that in a moment, and then we're going to just let this sign sink in. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, Emmanuel spelled two different ways and both are right, and so don't get confused when you see songs and it's with an E, and here we're reading it with an I. It is a name that means, either way you spell it, God with us. And here's the sign, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. That's the sign. It was stated seven centuries before Jesus came. However, that sign had a relevance to the people that heard it seven centuries earlier. It was cryptic, but the relevance to them was hang on to this hope, and we're gonna talk that through a little bit as we see that context and the ultimate fulfillment in Jesus, and we're gonna kind of put that together for us for a powerful 
uh, filling of hope. Now, here's the overview. I just want you to fill in all the blanks and kind of get the overview of where we're going. We're going to take a look at point number one, two, and three. One sign, two ways, three destinations. I hope to make that really clear. I think it's easy to remember. One, two, three. One sign, two ways, three destinations. Would you say that with me? One sign, two ways, three destinations. So let's talk about two ways. There is the uh, two ways in which this sign was uh, to be interpreted. And uh, two ways, in fact, let's just break down the word sign. A sign is something that points to something, right? And so a sign is given. It's going to point to a direction. It's going to point to an answer. It's going to point to a son that's born, but it's going to point to something else too in the original context and even in the final context. There are two ways that a right way points to. A right way implies this is the way, but it also by implication and particularly when it was first declared, it was pointing to the wrong way also. Anytime you say there's a right way, there is a wrong way, okay? And a lot of times we only see the prophecy as pointing to the ultimate fulfillment in Jesus, but even Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is the right way, and if you are without Jesus, you're on the wrong way. I just want to say that, that there's two ways. Now, there's two ways of doing things, and in the context, we're going to discover um, that this is a, a confrontation between the prophet Isaiah and King Ahaz, and King Ahaz rejects the sign. He's going to choose the wrong way, and we're going to talk that through a little bit, but I want us just to have a word picture to kind of get us to see this, because the title of this is In the Dark, Fear Has Dominion. Fear can take over and you can do things the wrong way, okay? That's what we're getting at. So there was a gentleman who was deathly afraid of spiders. He found a spider in his house and he had the bright idea of taking an aerosol can with some combustible in it and a lighter. And so he took the aerosol can and his lighter went up because he was afraid of the spider, didn't want to get too close. So he sprays and lights it and has a blowtorch to light the spider. Unfortunately, we're not sure whether the spider survived or not. We do know there was $60,000 worth of damage done to his home. That is the wrong way to deal with a spider. It's a wrong way to deal with your fear. So having said that, before we take a look at the Isaiah passage, just in one line, let's look at wrong way, right way, the way a psalmist put it in one line. Isaiah 56, 3 says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. All right? Not in some, I want to do this thing my way. And that's what we're going to discover King Ahaz is going to do. He's going to reject the instruction and the prophecy from Isaiah. He's going to do it his way because he's scared out of his mind. And he's going to do what he can see rather than trust what he cannot see. And he's going to do far worse damage to his kingdom than the man did to his house. And we're going to talk that through a little bit. And so 
this isn't just about fear. We talked earlier about loneliness. When I am lonely, I put my trust in you. When I am stressed, I put my trust in you. When I'm in crisis, I put my trust in you. Whatever the situation you're in and you're struggling in, whatever that darkness is, the answer is I put my trust in you. Okay, And so we're going to see how this plays out in history, seven centuries before, but it sets up a prophecy about the coming of Jesus, and we need to kind of get a hold of this. So to set it firmly into history, I'm going to do what I don't normally do, because I'm not a geographically kind of, I have a navigator. I married her, she does great, and I don't need to know, I don't need to look at the map, I just have my wife, and she hates Siri. Um, All right, so here's the map. Here we go with, I just want to talk this through a little bit. Here you have Judah in red print. That is the location of the kingdom where Ahaz is at, Judah. What you need to understand is by this time, Israel is divided into two kingdoms. It divided into two kingdoms shortly after Solomon. Okay, so it wasn't in this glory days long, King David, King Solomon, blah. It just divided up into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. Ten tribes up, two tribes down. Judah is here. Now, eventually, Israel is destroyed by their faithlessness before God, and um, those tribes are lost, and all we have left is Judah. That's why, by the way, in the New Testament, we don't call them Hebrews. We don't call them Israelis. We call them Jews. It's now just from the tribe of Judah. Jews is who we refer to them as. It wasn't referred to them that way before. That's who we refer to them as. Now, what you need to understand is, at this time, Israel and Judah are are at odds with one another. And that's why it's a divided kingdom. So much at odds because a big bully is flexing his muscles from Assyria. And Assyria is reaching, grabbing, dominating, flexing, and has a systematic cruelty and a systematic destruction that's growing and growing and growing that is creating a terrorist, like this big bully is in town, okay? And so two bullies up here get together and say, we need to form an alliance because we don't stand a chance against this big bully. So here in this upper region just above Israel is Syria. This is really confusing. Syria, Assyria. Syria, Assyria. Seriously? Yeah. Okay? And in Syria, we've got Aram of Damascus, okay, that's getting together with the king of Israel, which is in the text we're going to also refer to it as Ephraim, one of the tribes names where their capital is, Samaria. And so these two kings are going to be bullies that have formed an alliance together against King Ahaz and Judah. And the reason why King Ahaz refuses to form an alliance with them, so they say, fine, we're going to form an alliance with ourselves, we're going to come against you in Jerusalem, and we're going to take over and put up a puppet king in your place so we can build this alliance stronger to withstand the big bully. And Ahaz refuses because he has a plan of his own. It's an aerosol can with a lighter. And he's going to try to form an alliance with the big bully. 
And that's where the situation is. The text is Isaiah 7, 1 through 14 and beyond. We only have time through 1 through 14. And we're going to read the whole thing together. I don't have it on the screen. I'm going to leave the map up. And if you just want to listen, you can just listen. It's on the YouVersion app or you can look it up in the Bible or just listen. The time is 734 BC. And I want to read it and just kind of make some notes as we go. Isaiah 7. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah. Now, all these names are going to confuse you. So if I just shortened it, when Ahaz was king of Judah. All right, we got that? King Rezin of Aram, that's Syria, right here, Aram of Damascus. And Pekah, son of Ramalia, king of Israel, you don't need to know their names. So, king of Israel, king of Syria, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. All that is, is headlines for the reader. Okay? So, all the reader knows is, oh wow, it didn't work. And now we're going to begin to read the story, how it played out, and here's how it goes. Now, the house of David was told Aram, that is Syria, was allied itself with Ephraim, that is the northern kingdom or Israel. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. This is a description, a graphic description of their fear. Okay? They were already afraid of the big bully. And now these two kings are coming against their town. And all the people are shaken like trees in the wind. I mean, literally shaking because a siege is about to take place where they're going to hole up in Jerusalem and these two armies are coming against them. But we already have the headlines told to us. We can go, rest easy. God is still in control. Judah's not going to go down. It's not going to withstand. So the readers are okay, but the players are freaked out. That's what we know so far. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Shear Jashub. Now, this time the name is significant. If you're just reading along, you don't know its significance. The name of this son and the name of a, a number of Isaiah's sons are uh, given to Isaiah. He's told what to name his sons, and they play a significant role in some of the prophecies of Isaiah. This name means specifically a remnant will return. A remnant will return. And that plays itself out in history, but God wants a remnant to return to stand next to Isaiah while he's prophesying to Ahaz. And it's sort of a subtle <laughs> uh, sign even just by the presence of a remnant will return. Ahaz, this is my son, a remnant will return. And um, that just is kind of interesting to me. So the hearts of Ahaz and his, oh, I'm, uh, to meet Ahaz, and at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. So what's the deal with that? So why are they to meet there? Well, King Ahaz has a plan of his own. 
Here comes the prophet to confront King Ahaz's plan. What's he doing? He's looking at the aqueduct. At this time in history, the water flow to Jerusalem was not underground, so it's vulnerable to siege. It can be rerouted, it can be cut off, and he's looking at his water supply, and he's trying to figure out, oh, I've got to guard my water supply, and I've got to guard my city, and we've got to stockpile, because we've got to get ready for siege. And he has a plan of his own to withstand siege from the two little bullies, and he hasn't stated yet, but we're going to read that he has a plan too. And sure enough in history, he's going to pay tribute that's way more than he can survive to the big bully to create peace with the big bully, which does not work. Okay? <clears throat> Verse 4. Say to him, now this is God speaking to Isaiah, say to him, be careful... Keep calm, don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. I like that. It's like, come on, I'm God. These two bullies, they're just smoldering stubs of firewood. They're going to go out. It's no big deal. I've got this. There's the prophet saying that to him. Because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and of the son of Ramalia. Now, I like this, and we need to get a hold of this. This isn't just a timely word for this generation. This is a timely word for us. What are you so afraid of? What are you fearing? You're feeling the, fearing this, just these stubs, and we've seen a number of stubs burning. They're going to burn out. I'm still in charge. Which promise are you not focusing on? My promises are sure, just like Hebrews says. It's a solid anchor. I cannot lie. I've already said where it's going and what's going to happen. Set your anchor there. And if you set your anchor there, your faith will remain solid. This is a word for us, and this is a word for Ahaz. Ahaz refuses this word, and here's what happens. Verse 5. Syria, that is Aram of Damascus, Ephraim, that is a divided northern kingdom, and Ramaya's son, have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah, let us tear down, or tear it apart, and divide it among ourselves, and make the son of Tabiel king over it. So we will install our own puppet king, we will now have an enlarged army, we'll have this greater alliance, we can then uh, get alliances with all the others around us, and we can form an alliance together to withstand the big bully. That's their plan. And yet God was willing to confirm through Isaiah that don't fear this. They're not going to be able to overcome you. Place your faith in me. Here's the solid hope. And verse 11, well, let's go to 10 first. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Now that he's speaking through Isaiah. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. Now, I would have really enjoyed that. Ahaz does not. He totally won't go for it. So here's the promise. You're not going to be destroyed. You have nothing to fear. This is my message to you. I will confirm it. Ask for anything. Ask for any sign you want. doesn't matter how deep or how high. Give me whatever you want as a sign that will give you confidence that I'm going to do this thing. And this is what we read. But Ahaz said, I will not 
ask. And then he says, he has the audacity to say, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Now listen, if God says, ask for a sign, you better ask for a sign. You don't come out with a cheesy, scripture-pious-sounding answer that says, I'm not going to put the Lord to the test. That's exactly how the devil quotes scripture, to get scripture to twist around to what he wants to have happen. Ahaz has already decided what he's going to do. He's going to trust his own plan, and he knows what he's going to do, rather than trust God who he cannot see and how this plan he can't see is going to work, is going to work. And so he refuses to ask for a sign, so he's left off the hook. Don't tell me a sign, um, because I don't want to test God this way, which... Do you think this makes God a little frustrated? Hoo-hoo. Yeah, I would say so. Verse 13. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Whoa, did you see that coming? We have, if you're familiar with this prophecy, we've used this prophecy so much we forget its context. We forget that there's two ways that this sign can be taken and the first way the sign was to be taken was a sign of judgment to Ahaz out of frustration and anger, I'm, you, you're not going to ask for a sign? Well, I'll give you a sign, and here's the sign. And so there's two ways to take this, and we need to kind of figure out, what does this mean in their context, which Matthew and Luke later quote in the context of Jesus as a sign pointing to the eternal way? Here's a sign of judgment that's pointing to the wrong way because Ahaz has chosen the wrong way. So be careful when you're fearful and lonely or stressed to choose faith, not what you see and what seems easier to you in your way. Because you will take a torch to your house if you do it your way. Ahaz takes a torch to his kingdom. And then, I don't have time to go into the details of this prophecy in their context, and there are a number of scholars with different interpretation. I kind of like one interpretation that talks about how in Isaiah 1.8... Zion, which is Jerusalem, is described as daughter Zion will have a son. It's like, ah, daughter Zion. And so daughter Zion would be the city. And we've already had the remnant will return. And so the remnant will return is right there. And it's the son of daughter Zion, who is eventually going to return after all this is played out. As you keep reading, the key is in verse 13 through 16 about a boy within the time frame of a boy's life before he knows the difference between right and wrong. This is going to happen to this kingdom coming against you and in 65 years, this kingdom that you're so afraid of is not even going to exist. And what's going to take place beyond that is a judgment where only a remnant 
is left to return here. It's exactly how history plays out. And from that remnant, a son of Jerusalem will come and bring hope. God is with us. The fact that God is with us means although you are faithless, I'm still going to make my promise work. But it won't work for you. I will make it work with the remnant. And so we have to stand firm in our faith or the promises of God don't work for us, only work for those who are faithful and remaining in faith with God. Point number three, three destinations. So two ways, right way and a wrong way. You can decide to do it your way and blow towards your house, blow towards your life, blow towards your kingdom by doing it your way when God says, no, you should do it this way. And he says, I want to show you what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you that I am with you. But if you reject right up front, it's disaster doing it your way. Trust, trust, do it God's way. Now, three destinations. Um, That's kind of confusing, but here's what I want to say. The first destination, the first context, the sign was a sign of judgment to Israel and King Ahaz and Judah in 700 BC, but it's a total sign of hope and fulfillment for the remnant. The remnant will return. And because the remnant will return, the name means God is with us. uh, The the son of uh, Isaiah was just kind of a reflection of that truth. The remnant will return, and the remnant will return is what's going to take place. And I think the virgin is Jerusalem. But that's just one possible interpretation. It's really cryptic. And I don't have to have the right answer to know there's a context there that they could have got, but because Ahaz refused, he doesn't get it. He does not. And the rest doesn't, don't get it either, but the remnant do. The remnant will return. God is still with us. They're going to hang in there with faith no matter how dark it gets. And eventually that whole remnant has to be ported off to Babylon and returning many, many years later, they will return so that the ultimate fulfillment will take place. So the first destination is judgment. The second destination is short term. Let's be the remnant. And the third destination is long term. Let's hang on to the fulfillment, which is Jesus, God with us. He came, and he was literally born of a virgin. (laughs) They're going to try to cover this in children's church without even talking about it. So can you just imagine the little kids, what's a virgin? And so (laughs) when when they cover that, they're just going to say, well, it's an unmarried person who has a child but never even had a boyfriend. That's the best they can do. And then uh, you're going to, as parents, going to have to decide the timing of what to deal with that. Anyway. Hopefully, they won't even ask the question. So the three destinations, slow this down. Judgment is destination one for those that rejected. Short-term destination, which gave direction 
courage. And actually, if you keep reading in verses 13 through 16, ETA, estimated time of arrival of the different uh, things that are going to take place in their context is laid out for you right there. Short-term destination. And then the long-term fulfillment is the eternal fulfillment as we link ourselves by faith with Jesus himself. We have hindsight, which is great, and prophecy fulfilled where the word of God literally says, this is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. So I want to finish by saying, what do we do with this? Here's the steps. Are you lonely? The next time you're lonely, literally, place your faith in God. Out loud, tell God you're lonely. Speak to him. Spend time with him. Stand firm in him, and he'll make all the difference. Are you stressed? Go to God with your stress. Speak your stress out loud. Tell him how impossible the situation feels to you. He is a God who specializes in the impossible, and he is God with you, and he'll walk you through. Are you in crisis? Are you in dread? Are you in fear? Turn and trust God. Trust is the answer, and God is who you put your faith in. Where is your anchor If you put your anchor where you can see and you're in this storm, you have no hope. You're going to crash into the rocks. Put the anchor into the unseen realm. This time it's not down below the surface of an ocean. It's above the surface of the storm of life. And Jesus has gone there and he is the anchor. Study that Hebrews 6 passage. And so if you've never given your life to Jesus, make sure your line is securely connected to Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, I need you. You are God with us. You are my savior. You've taken my sins upon yourself. You've taken them away. You have fulfilled the sign not only being virgin born but you your death burial and the resurrection points to in the loudest clearest way your victory and the promises that are sure life is eternal and i'm following you if you have asked jesus to be your savior you don't really know what that means and how to go about following him Uh, we're trying to come up with a substitute for our other processes in the past before our season that we're in now Uh, we used to have start here we're going to do a start with jesus conversation and we're going to do it every month uh, just to dialogue with people who are ready to follow Jesus. And so the first one will be January 3rd. I'll tell you more about it as we have more specifics and how that's going to be online as well as in person. But keep that in mind so that you can follow Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for giving us such detailed signs all along the way, long before events took place. And Lord, No skeptic can take away the fact that Isaiah, written long before Jesus, we have scrolls, even translated scrolls, long before the arrival of Jesus, with these words of hope and truth. And so we thank you for laying it all out in advance, showing us when it happens, and affirming to us that this is the way. Help us to choose that way and be strengthened in the faith. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. There's more hope on the horizon. Hope to see you next week. God bless.